Welcome to the Preserving Family Podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to equip you to gain insight, information, and inspiration to help you protect, teach, and guide your family during these turbulent times. Our goal is to provide tools and resources to help you strengthen and preserve your own marriages and families. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Mark and Janie Ogletree. Welcome everyone today to the Preserving Families podcast. We're so grateful that you're with us and I'm really excited about our guest today. It's it's Jeff Hill and Jeff uh, is a professor at BYU and family life, uh, has done a lot of research not only on the family but on uh, family finances. Uh, Jeff graduated from uh, BYU's uh, Marriott School in Organizational Behavior years ago and then did a doctorate degree at Utah State University. In fact, Jeff, I didn't ask you, but where did you do your bachelor's degree? At BYU. Okay. I was actually in the same cohort with Elder Bednar. Oh, wow. In interpersonal communications, yeah. a major that no longer exists. <laughs> well, and I, you know, I majored in human resource development at BYU. And in my day, they were having so much trouble with figuring out where that belonged. So we were actually in the fine arts department. Right. And then they moved it to, you know, the business right. school, which is, in my mind, where it should have been. But mm-hmm. anyway, super cool. Uh, before coming to work as a professor at BYU, uh, Jeff actually worked at IBM for years. How many years were you there, Jeff, at IBM? 24 years. Wow. 24 years, yeah. It's incredible. And were you, where were you located? All over. Yeah. It's when IBM stood for I've Been Moved. <laughs> I think I worked in uh, seven different locations. You were just IBM. moving and living everywhere. That's yeah. incredible. Jeff has published more than 100 scholarly articles and book chapters. He and his wife, Tammy, are the parents of 12 children and incredibly 36 awesome, wonderful grandchildren. Yes, indeed. Uh, the joy of life, our <laughs> yeah. grandchildren. Yeah, exactly. And my uh, experience with Jeff that I'll never forget, and I don't know if he remembers this, but uh, I arrived at Utah State to begin my doctoral program in 1995, and Jeff, uh, you left in 94, so we just missed each other. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you that uh, you had quite a reputation. People remembered you well, and you were well known by the faculty and staff, but my memory was at a National Council of Family Relations mm-hmm. event where we were in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and had a sacrament meeting in a hotel mm-hmm. room with all the LDS mm-hmm. people. Do you remember that I at do. all? I do. I yeah. do. And I thought that was very significant for me. That was I, a cool day. I remember it, and I remember blessing <laughs> the bread. Yeah. And it was just such a connecting emotional experience when we had been around so many of the ideas of the world right and then to be there and just have pure um pure spirit it was just wonderful pure testimony and focusing in on the sacred ordinance of the sacrament in a hotel room I'll, right i'll never i don't how we all got in there because there must have been 70 people a in lot of room. people there wasn't uh <laughs> there wasn't an inch to spare <laughs> there wasn't that that was the highlight of that, that conference for, for me too that, for, for me sure. too Well, Jeff, tell us first about the career path that you took that allowed you to end up being a professor at BYU. Okay, Okay. Um, I worked for IBM for many years, and and it was a good job. I liked it. Right. Made made really good money. Supported our family, but I always felt like there was something more. And I read somewhere that in life we should have a career of competence, something that we're really good at and make a lot of money at, right. and then move to a career of contribution where we really use the talents that we have to bless others. 
And as I explored doing that, I thought the best place in the world to do that would be to teach people about families, that that would be the best way I could contribute. So with, uh, with seven children, went back to school and got a PhD in family and human development, and through a lot of circumstances, ended up as a professor at BYU. Incredible. It was amazing. It was a miracle. And what year did you start at BYU? At BYU, I started in 1998. Okay. 1998, so. Wow. It'll be almost 25 years what a great when year. I retire in <laughs> July. Well, that's incredible. Well, I know that, uh, um, you know, one of the things that I remember, Jeff, about you so much is I, I remember you going through that experience with the loss of your wife, Juanita. And I actually remember reading an, art, uh, an article, I think you wrote mm -hmm. in the Ensign about that. Well, that article in the Ensign found me my second wife. Yeah. <laughs> so. Is that how you met Tammy? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. But you know, who knows who listens to our podcast, mm -hmm. right? And, and who needs to be touched in a certain way. But what are some of the things that you may have learned through that experience that you love to pass on to others who are going through similar experiences uh -huh. right now? I think the key is to embrace how sad you are when yeah. if something terrible happens, you just need to be sad. You can't put on a front. You have to just grieve. And it was so hard. It was by far the hardest thing that I've ever gone through. Right. And uh, and I just, uh, I mean, just at the point when I felt like I'd be full of despair, there'd be a little thing that would come and I knew that God was still there and and would help me through it. And so I found like after losing a spouse that it takes about a year and it's just a miserable year. It's right. one that you always want to go back. But then the next principle is realize you can't go back. Yeah. You have to move right. forward. Sometime you have to make a choice. Are you going to be miserable the rest of your life or are you going to uh, move forward. And pretty much soon after I made that choice, miraculously, I met uh, Tammy. Yeah. Uh, as she had read our, my Ensign article, and through a number of wonderful circumstances, we came together, and now we've made uh, uh, another life together. Uh, and the way I look on it now, I love my time with Juanita. She's wonderful. She's waiting for me yeah. in heaven. Um, but now I'm married to Tammy, and Tammy is as different from Juanita as two people can be that both hold temple recommends. <laughs> and, uh, right. and, I, and it's like I've had a second life. You know, most people only get one life. Yeah. I've gotten to have two lives. It's incredible. I, uh, in, the, in some of the counseling work that I do, it's not unusual to visit with someone going through the grief uh -huh. process. And that's, I'm so glad to hear you say what you just shared because people come in and they feel like they're broken. You know, it's been three months and they're not better yet. <laughs> and I'm telling them, it's okay. You, you can be sad for a while. Yeah. Now, if you're sad, if you're still in this position 10 years from now, we probably need some yeah. work. Yeah. But right now you're supposed to be broken yeah. and it's okay. Right. And what I held on to is to just embrace. Yeah. Embrace the uh, the grief. Embrace the sadness. Yeah. Oh, Jeff, thank you. That's a great. Those are great insights. All right. Well, tell me how you got into this area of I'm calling it money management, and you may call it something a little bit different. Mm -hmm. But how did that start for you? Because it, I know it's it kind of began with the family on a broader level, mm -hmm. but you kind yeah. of were able to narrow it down into this focal point. Well, you know. Um, 
basically, I got into it because I had to do it with a large family and to make ends meet and and so forth. But it was just kind of coincidences. And a lot of times in life, you know, some of the greatest things just kind of happen right. without any planning. <laughs> and what happened was we had an excellent family finance professor in our department who uh, needed to leave BYU uh, rather suddenly. And uh, they needed somebody to teach family finance. And so my department chair said, hey, Jeff, will you teach family finance next semester? And I said, well, you know what? I've never had a class in family finance. But I, they, the, my chair said, ah, you teach large sections well. It's a large section. You'll do fine. And right. so I started doing it. And I never would have supposed that I would love it so much. And, uh, you know, I was all about relationships and family. Right. But as I started teaching family finance, I realized the way you manage your resources has a lot to do with the kind of relationships you're going to develop. And I can see, and I'm so excited about how various principles in family finance really do strengthen the family. Right. It's not just about dollars and cents. It's about... It's about how that those uh, resources are used in a way that strengthens rather than destroys families. That's right. That's right. And I, that's what we're about. We are about preserving <laughs> and strengthening the family. And, and uh, family finance and family management, uh, finance, financial management is certainly a way that, that that can happen. And so, all right, well, let me, let me ask you this. Um, because you spend a lot of time on campus with, with young people, mm -hmm. right? I mean, mm -hmm. and, and a lot of those... Those are young married couples. Mm -hmm. What do you see as some of the challenges that young married couples face just financially? What do you do? You have an awareness of some of the challenges that that they encounter. The first challenge is that they're not educated yeah. related to finances. You know, there are two taboos about talking about things in the home. One's sex and one's finances. Right. And a lot of them just haven't had enough experience with finances. And when they find themselves married and responsible, they just don't realize even the basics, which right. is one of the reasons I have loved teaching the class right. that I do. But then after that, I think there's a, a sense, especially they want to get off on a good start. But too often that good start is, I want to replace the style of living <laughs> that I came from with my parents. I, you know, I'm graduated from BYU. I wanted to get that big house. Right. And too often, maybe they just spend too much or go into too much debt, realizing that it's okay to sacrifice and be poor for a while. Right. You don't have to, even though you love your wife with all your heart, you don't have to give her everything that her dad gave her <laughs> in the, uh, the 20 years that she was at, at home. At least immediately, right? right. Like you don't start off that way. And I remember we moved to Dallas, and I remember going into the homes of, we had a lot of young couples in our Dallas area <laughs> that had just graduated from BYU. Their parents helped them get into the home. Yeah. But now they had no no means, no money to even put furniture right. furniture in the home. So they had, you know, all the rooms were empty except for the for the bedrooms. <laughs> but this, this was, That's hey, right. but we have this 4,000 square foot home just with right. no furniture. And I would say that the, most significant financial mistake that recent BYU graduates have are to get into a home that they cannot afford. Right. Because, uh, and actually, uh, uh, banks are willing to lend you more money than you can afford, especially 
if you're an active member of the church because they don't build in the fact that you're paying 10% tithing, yeah. which is like a debt. Right. And so what I tell people when they're figuring out how much can you afford, put down on the sheet that you have this 10% debt right. and then qualify on what you really have. And that's such a great principle there. Um, I was going to tell you, Jeff, that I grew up in a home, and I'm sure many people would say this, but there was no training or even mention of, of financial preparation right. for family life. And, uh, and a lot of us have just, just had to kind of figure it out on our own. And so in our family, we did try to do a little bit more with that with our children. But still, I look back and think we could have done so much more, you know, mm -hmm. such a common, common tendency there. All right, well, we've heard our whole lives, and you've mentioned it today, you've talked about the two big ones, sex and intimacy and finances as the big factors that affect mm -hmm. uh, the quality of a marriage, but how do finances affect not only the marriage, but also the family mm -hmm. in both positive and negative ways, would you say? Well, that's a, a big question. <laughs> you could, we could do a whole podcast that's on that. Right? We can do a whole semester yeah. on that. <laughs> Yeah, well, share, but, share a few principles with us. I'd love to hear. Okay, well, uh, bottom line is to realize it's not about the money. Okay. It's about the trust. Money is a proxy for trust. Right. When we are true and faithful with our money, that is, we are who we say we are. We do what we say we're going to do. We don't hide things that we shouldn't hide. Right then it will strengthen a marriage. But when we don't do that, when, oh, we're afraid our spouse won't like this, so we buy something on the sly. Yeah. Or when we don't live within the budget, we've committed that we're going to live within the budget, and then we don't do what we said we'd do. Okay. It okay. violates trust. Okay. And so when trust you, is that foundational principle. And when you violate trust, why well, it just doesn't go well for you. So that's the that is the key principle with finances is to be trustworthy okay. with the finances, which are that's operationalized as you make and keep a budget. Mm -hmm. You don't hide things from each other. By the way, there's a new line of research that's called financial infidelity. Yeah. And that is when you make purchases and hide things, just like sexual infidelity would be, except with money. Right. The outcomes are almost as bad. Wow. Almost as bad as sexual infidelity is financial infidelity. And people just don't think of it. No. And so they're just blindsided to realize what negative effects the way they manage their money has on their marriage. Right. Now, another really important thing that helps, that's that helps marriages is when you dream together. You know, when a couple looks forward and sees themselves together doing something or having something or whatever, it brings them together today as they look towards the future. So couples who will dream about their finances and say, you know, in five years, like to take a trip to Hawaii with all the kids right. or something. And then when they save and sacrifice together for that goal, that whole period of time, they're looking forward to it and it's bringing them together. And then it is so sweet when that happens. Uh, Tammy and I did just that. Uh, you know, with blending a family, it's difficult. I'll tell you, it's sure. difficult. We wanted something that would bring us together. And so we decided that we would bring our 12 children uh, to Hawaii, 
and spend a week together. Right. And that, oh, wow. took, that took a while to save up to do because we don't believe in going into debt. Yes. And But then when we did it, and it was, it probably still is, the week that we most felt like a seamless family. We most felt like, hey, we're not Hills, we're not Mulfords, we're together. We'll, we're Hillfords. <laughs> so uh, I would I like say that. that. And then with the kids, it's important to involve them, you yeah. know, to, to not uh, reject the taboo of talking. Yeah. Talk about money over and over again and teach them that money doesn't grow on trees. You have to work for what you get. Right. And uh, if you do that, that that really will set your kids up so that they do know what money's going about. And and our research, we do a lot of research actually about how parents teach their children what works, what doesn't. Right. And the single thing that's the most important is called experiential learning. It's when you actually give your children experience with their own money. So you find a way to get them their own money. It could be an allowance, but it's even better to either have a hybrid model with an allowance plus money you can get for chores or to just make it that you only get money when you do chores. Right. And of course, you'll have chores that they do because they're part of the family, but then you'll have other chores that they can earn money at. And then let them get money as early as possible and then let them make mistakes with that money. Right. The earlier wow. you make mistakes with money, <laughs> the better it is. Yeah. A preschooler will make a $5 mistake. Uh, elementary schooler, maybe a $50 mistake. A teenager, maybe a $500 mistake. But if your kids haven't learned by the time they come to college, they're going to make $5,000 mistakes. And if you bail them out in college and they never learn until after they've graduated, they'll make $50,000 mistakes. So I think that's key for family life is to give your children experiential, extra, experiential opportunities with money. Jeff, I think that's such a great idea. I was going to share with you as you were talking, it reminded me of the time that, uh, a time that I was a, a bishop and it was in those days, tithing yeah. settlement. Yeah. Yeah. And I was actually surprised yeah. how many families in our ward hadn't taught their children oh. a lot about tithing. Mm -hmm. um, but that makes me think, uh, taking that a step further, that, that there's probably a lot of families that haven't taught their children about anything you know, <laughs> with finances. Do you have any advice for this kind of scenario? And I see it all the time. My teenage son or my teenage daughter doesn't work, but that's because... We have EF, well, now FSY, and we have uh, a camp at BYU, and we have a family vacation, and we have four or five other things going this summer, and so they're not going to be able to work, and that becomes more common now. You know, the fewer and fewer of our, worth, our youth are actually working. Like in our day, mm -hmm. we had summer jobs, mm -hmm. you know, during the summer. How can families that face that, you know, what, what advice would you have? Because they are missing out on some important life lessons. Mm -hmm with with uh, with money and the management of money and also with learning to work. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, this time is really, really good. It wasn't as easy in my day, but right now, basically, if you can fog a mirror, you can get a job. <laughs> There's so much need. So it's not an either or. It's not right. an either or. You do what you can. And uh, there are... There are jobs that have uh, value that you can have your teenager just do that you work them around the house. Around the right? house, right? Sure. Uh, 
and you can be creative too. Like I had one of my children transcribe my missionary journal. So it gave them uh, you know, keyboarding skills, and it did something that I wanted to get done, and they idea. were able to do it. Uh, and so, and you can give them jobs inside. And frankly, in a in a some uh, summer, there's probably going to be four or six weeks. You can get a job for four and six weeks. I mean, people are craving for people uh, to do that. And and uh, frankly, what we did in our home was on those EFY things and stuff like that, we required our children to pay half of what it cost. Such a good idea. And so we realized it was kind of a bit much for them to pay all of it. Right. But we wanted them to have skin in the game. Exactly. And so they needed ahead of time to have earned the privilege of going to EFY. I think too often kids, when parents totally pay for it, I don't think it's as meaningful to them because they think, oh, I'm just doing this because my parents want me to go. And they might not get as much out of it as if they had to put in half themselves. Missing that skin in the game concept. That's right. right. And, uh, you know, it'd be fun to do a study on missionaries to see how effective missionaries are if you compared one group who paid for their missions or at least a part of it right. versus a group that doesn't, that doesn't pay anything. So. Yeah. Well, Jeff, um, I appreciated the talk that you gave at BYU a while back. Mm -hmm. And I think, was it called Living Joyfully? Joyfully uh, Within Your Means. Within Your Means. Okay, excellent. And you, and you talked about several principles uh, from that message. And the first, the first uh, you know, principle that you shared, you talked about family budgets. Mm -hmm. And I think about family budgets a lot because my wife and I, for a large part of our, our married life, uh, worked for the church. You know, we mm -hmm. were, I was a seminary and an institute teacher, and I can look back on those days and say, I think the only way that we actually made it mm -hmm. was because of a budget. I mean, if we right. wouldn't have had a budget, it would have been impossible. But whatever you want to share with us about budgets, what, whatever counsel that you have, especially with our young married couples. Yeah. Everyone knows that you should have a budget. Right. But let me tell you why, and I think knowing the why makes it more likely to do it. Right. Um, my, uh, I call this my principle of claiming joy with finances. <laughs> okay. When you use your material resources for things that you truly value, you will claim joy. Okay. When you fritter away your material resources for things that you don't truly value, then you will claim frustration. And when you fritter away resources you don't have or needlessly go into debt, you will claim mega frustration and you're just plain dumb. <laughs> I mean, you yourself, you're still a children right. of God, child of God, so you're a good you? person, right. you have, but you've done a dumb thing when you do that. Right. So the purpose of the budget is to give every dollar a name that you truly value. A name that you, and that's what it's all about. And right. when you do that, you will claim joy. When you do that, and you live within the budget. Right. And so basically, that is the key. That is the whole key to uh, to finance joyfully living within your means, is to create a budget so that you can uh, you can use your resources for things that are of value rather than things that don't have value. Right. You know, Jeff, this is going to be really random, but uh, have you ever watched Seinfeld before? Mm-hmm. <laughs> One of my favorite episodes is when Jerry rents a car. Okay. And he goes to pick his car up from the car rental place at the airport, and he has a reservation, but then they tell him that he doesn't have a car. 
And he's like, well, I thought that was what the reservation was so that we could have a car. And uh, she said, well, I know what the lady says, well, I know what a reservation is. And uh, he says, I don't think you do. Because if, if you did, I'd have a car. You know? But I think a budget's that way just a little bit. As a, like you said, we know that we should have one. Uh, in fact, a lot of us create budgets, right? Mm -hmm. We have a budget. My experience has been as often we create it, but then we never, ever use it. We never mm -hmm. go back to it. We never, in other words, how do you keep a budget alive? You know, how do you keep it, it an active thing? It's so easy. Okay. It's so easy. <laughs> Let's you just have to remember one thing. Right. And that is at least once a week, and Tammy and I do this after church on Sunday. Right. You review every transaction of the week, and you review where the budget is. Right. And it never gets out of hand because you take uh, if it starts getting out of hand, you know it, and you can take remedial action. Yeah. And by reviewing every transaction, there's total transparency, and that trust is totally maintained with the couple. So it's an it's kind of an easy thing to do once you you know you have to get in the habit of doing it. But Tammy, we come home from church. Uh, we first get out the calendar and go through the next week so we're on the same page of what we're going to be doing because we're both very busy. Right. And then we go through every transaction that we've had financially so that we're on the same page financially. Takes 15 minutes. Right. 15 minutes a week and we're on the same page with what we're going to do with our time and with what we need to do with our money. So that's that's my advice. So I love that proactive that proactive approach. Mm -hmm. I think that's wonderful. Well, especially the idea of reviewing, reviewing budgets and, you know, making that uh, a regular daily conversation in a marriage, I think is such a powerful idea. Mm -hmm. Okay. The second thing you talked about in your message at BYU was minimizing and eliminating debt. What are some things, what's some counsel you could give us on that? Just don't go into debt. <laughs> <laughs> I know no. President Hinckley would say, avoid it like the plague, right? That's right. We got to, uh, I mean... What is it? Interest is your companion every minute of the day and night. Right. I mean, that's that's the problem. What my dad always told me, and this is a good thing to teach our children. Right. There's two kinds of people in the world, people that pay interest and people that understand interest. Right. And he said, who in their right, right mind would like to pay extra for whatever you're going to get? Wouldn't you like instead for people to pay you sure. uh, for, your, for your money? And so... Uh, that's just uh, so important. But, of course, there are certain things, uh, and, and we actually did a review of all the conference talks about what they said about money. And by far, in talking about money, the key thing was to avoid debt. And there are three exceptions that are mentioned in the general conferences. One is a home mortgage for a home that's modest and that you can afford. Sure, yeah. uh, when necessary for reliable transportation. Yes. And where necessary for an education that will yield you a job that you can pay the debt back. Right. And so those are what you need. And frankly, uh, uh, the only reason to go into debt is for something that you truly need. Not something that's just a want or you want to go on a trip or you want to do this. No, that's not what you go into debt for. It's just for something that you truly need. Right. And so um, the key is to uh, avoid avoid debt whenever you can. And 
and uh, if you're in debt, to pay that down. And I also include, I help people understand that your house mortgage is to be paid off. Right. <laughs> you know, at, at least in 30 years. But uh, frankly, most people can, with, uh, with some thought, pay off a house in 15 years. Uh, Juanita and I, when we got our first home, when I was 28, set a goal that we would pay off our home in 15 years. Wow. And uh, when I was 43, we paid off that home. Incredible. And it was And it was right at the time I went back to school because we didn't have a mortgage. It was easier to sure, go yeah. back to school. And it was just when our kids got expensive, when uh, the teenagers needed to be on the school teams and all of that. So we just moved our, our money from our mortgage uh, to our kids' Children's activities. Activities, and, right. Yeah. So they could do stuff. So anyway, that's uh, there. When you're in debt, uh, what what hurts families more than anything with money is stress. When yes. people are stressed about money, it hurts the relationships. But people are a lot less uh, accommodating to spouses and so forth. And so they, uh, I think it's very important uh, to get out of debt so that you're not stressed about debt. Amen. Oh, that's so good. So one last follow-up question on that, but let's say that there's a young couple, you know, they're in their late 20s, early 30s, they have three or four little children, and they've just acquired, you know, a substantial amount of debt. What advice would you give to them to pay that debt off? The key uh, to paying that debt off is to is to invest enough in paying off the debt that you pay it off. But I'll tell you this, it needs to be a balanced approach. Right. We need to, we, you need to have needs met. You need to have a place to live. You need to have food to eat that's healthy. Uh, you need to have clothing for your food. And so I don't, I'm not a fanatic that you should stop doing everything else right. and pay off debt. In fact, what I say to people is that there should be uh, you should invest in three things every month. And number one is in an emergency fund until you have a six-month emergency fund. You should invest something in that every month. Okay. Number two is in long-term investments. Until you retire, you should invest something every month in long-term investments. And number three is you should pay down debt beyond the minimum payments that you're making and not acquire new debt. And so I think it's a balanced approach. Have a livable budget. Make sure you have an emergency fund. Make sure you're investing for the long term and make sure you're paying down your debt. And when you, as you pay down that debt, are you an advocate of the debt small, snowball approach where you would take that smallest debt, get that paid off and move up to the next one? Uh, there are two approaches okay. and whatever works for you. Whatever works. The snowball approach is good because you get some, um, uh, because you get the joy of paying off debts and rolling them over. Uh, the other method is to pay off the debt with the highest interest rate. Yes. And that's the one that's best financially, but they both work. Both, yeah, you bet. Okay, good. All right, your third principle is to invest early, consistently and wisely. I think there's a, a common thought among many of us that I'll, I'll, worry, I'll worry about investing mm. when I have more money someday. Mm -hmm. hopefully, hopefully that day will come. 
And it never does. Or it, do, it does when you're 40 or 45. But the key to that investing is the miracle of compound interest. That oh, wow. as you in, invest something, it, it has a return. And if you invest in a primarily stock-based uh, mutual fund or something like that, overall, it will give you a 7 to 10% return over the long term. And it will double every seven or eight years. And so the key is to invest early. Uh, that's why I tell all of my students that before the end of the week, I want them to open a Roth IRA and invest it in a primarily stock-based fund and start paying, even if it's $5 a month, even if it's $5 a month, put something in there and commit the rest of your life to put something into long-term savings uh, on, uh, forever until you retire. In the United States, the best way to do that is called a Roth IRA, yes. or when you have a job, a Roth 401k, because all the money goes in, and then when it comes out, it's all tax-free. You don't have to pay any taxes at all. Incredible. So I just say that's what you should uh, do. So do that early and every month. I love that, Jeff. That's so great. Such great counsel. Well, Jeff, uh, back to that uh, great, wonderful talk at BYU, but you talked about don't doing dumb things with your money. And I can tell you that uh, we've done a few of those ourselves. Me too. We have to. We have to. Doesn't Dave Ramsey call that stupid tax? Yeah. (laughs) There you go. There you go. Okay. Um, I think the key thing is to realize that we don't get rich quickly. I always tell my students, I believe in the get rich slowly plan. Slow but sure wins the race. Yeah. And so uh, a dumb thing is to speculate. And mm-hmm. in today's world, it's things like uh, uh, cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin or thinking that you can flip a lot of houses really fast and make a lot of money, right. those kinds of things. Uh, but it's a truism that you can't make greater than market rate returns without taking greater than market rate risks. And I'd say in family finance, why we want to avoid risk because that stress, even if good things happen, you're still stressed because of the high risk. So avoid speculation. And the first presidency, actually, a lot of members of the church are kind of uh, gullible. And uh, many, many members of the church have lost a lot of money through get-rich-quick schemes. Sure. Uh, another key thing uh, that I like people to avoid is home equity loans. And the reason for that is your home secures the loan. You shouldn't use the money from your home for other things. Okay. Because if you borrow and borrow and borrow, there will come a time that this housing market will crater, and then you will owe more money than the home's worth. Yes. And that's called being upside down in your mortgage. Right. And when you are that, you're a prisoner in your own home because you can't sell it. Yes. You can't sell it because you can't get enough money to uh, satisfy the mortgage. And so don't, you know, your home is a sacred place. So uh, don't mortgage it. And then finally, don't make things, don't buy things just because you want to. Okay, right. Don't do impulse purchases. Unfortunately, uh, and I have done that. You've probably done it where you just see something, you want it, you've got a credit card, so you get it. 
And hopefully it's just a $20 thing. Right. But uh, we got to learn to avoid those impulse purchases. Jeff, one of the, as you were talking, I'm smiling to myself because I'm remembering a time in my life where my wife and I were brand new, newly married. We were in a basement apartment at BYU. Uh, a guy comes and knocks on our door who is selling film. He's selling Kodak film door to door. And he convinces us that if we, you know, invest in this or, or uh, you know, sign up, whatever it was, that we will have a lifetime supply of film for the rest of our life. And uh, <laughs> sure enough, number one, we were stupid enough to, to sign on the dotted line because we thought, well, we're going to have kids. And sure, we want to have pictures. But who was to know that 10 years later, there would be no such thing as Kodak film. Right? <laughs> that, that now we all are taking pictures on our our phones. Luckily, yeah. that, that company went under, and we were able to get out of our contract with them after a year or so. But talk about stupid tax. You uh -huh. know, that was, and I'm sure we all have stories like that in our lives. But yeah. I love your fifth principle. And I'm, you know, when you talk about be generous and share your resources with others, you know, one of the th my memories, Jeff, of that is I was a new member of the church. I'd been a member for a year. I was going on a mission now, and uh, they had an open house for me. And a member of my ward uh, gave me a book. And I remember as a missionary getting to a certain page in that book and opening it up, and there was this wad of money that they had put in this book. <laughs> but I remember, number one, how cool that was. Yeah, I, I didn't get I the money that. until I read. I love that. But number two is I remember thinking, how cool would it, would it be to live the kind of life where you could help people, you know, that mm -hmm. they knew here I was, uh, uh, the only member of the church in my family, that I didn't have a lot of money, and, and they were helping me, and I just thought, wow, I just hope that one day I can be in a position yeah. to do the same thing for someone else. Yeah, and, uh, and you can, I can just see that how happy that made you and how right. happy it makes you to do the same kind of thing for right. others. And I think with being generous, you know, it goes back to claiming joy with your resources. When you use your resources for things that you truly value, which would be blessing God's children, uh, you're yeah. going to claim joy. One of the things that Tammy and I do is we, we actually pray that we can be sensitive to and follow the promptings of the Holy Ghost and that we can be the answer to someone's prayers. And I have to tell you that Tammy's a lot more in tune than I am. <laughs> As are all of our wives, I think, right? <laughs> but a couple of years ago, she said, I just have a strong feeling we should give $500 to this family. And we try to be generous at Christmas time, so it wasn't unusual. Right. But for everything you could see, the family's doing just fine, that they have no needs financially. Right. And But we followed her prompting, and anonymously we were able to get them the money and then in the following Fast and Testimony meeting, why uh, the mother bore her testimony about how hard things were. And then just like magically, this money appeared and it was an answer to prayers. Oh, yeah. And man, that made us feel like a million bucks. I mean, we invested 500 and we got a million <laughs> dollars back of joy, of joy to just hear that. Wow. So um, I, I hope that person isn't listening to this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Well, um, I, I was going to say that once again, as the as the bishop of this ward that we're living in, a few years ago, and this was one of my favorite things. We all love Christmas time so much, yeah. but one of the things I missed in the church was opening exercises in priesthood. That was oh, yeah. a great little meeting mm -hmm. that we would have, and 
I remember as the bishop standing up and, and just uh, announcing to the priesthood that there were several families in need and mm -hmm. if anyone wanted to to help and once again just blown away with people that were coming up to me and handing me $500 in cash <laughs> or I still remember one mm. man said how much do you need and I said no it's just whatever you want to give and he goes I'm going to run to the ATM and I'll be right back this was during priesthood meetings <laughs> people are so anxious to give but once again uh, in my own little way of almost being a Robin Hood of yeah. of some kind of being sure. this, uh, this steward of this money and then mm -hmm. to be able to go and deliver it to these families who were, would not have had a Christmas, you know, had mm -hmm. that not happened, was such a, a one. you talk about joy. I mean, what a great feeling. Mm -hmm. So, well, Jeff, thank you so much. I wanted well, to maybe ask you two more questions today. Sure. Um, and one of them is, you know, as you see it, you know, I'll, I'll set it up with this quick story, but I was asked, believe it or not, to be a guest on a podcast years ago mm -hmm. when podcasting wasn't really a thing, but it was the Mormon channel. Mm -hmm. And I was invited to come and talk about finances, which is oh, cool. hysterical because uh, <laughs> that's not uh, my forte at all. But what had happened was that their guest had gotten sick that day and the person that was hosting the show was a friend of mine. And he just called and said, can you come down here to the church office building and do this with us. And the whole time I'm driving there thinking, what am I going to say? In fact, I thought if my children heard that I was doing a podcast <laughs> on finances, they would probably think that was pretty funny. But the only thing that I could really come up with that I could contribute is the role that discipline mm -hmm. plays in finances. What, Whatever you want to tell us about that, Jeff, but what, what have you noticed over time when it comes to discipline? Well, uh, bottom line, discipline in finances is delayed gratification. It's be mm. able to make the choice to sacrifice something of benefit now for something that is of greater benefit later. Right. And so, uh, I mean, and I think that's part of the core of our mission on the earth yeah. is to learn to do that. I mean, why else would we have all these appetites that we have to bridle Sure. Unless God wanted us to learn that. And so with I think that finances are a great way to learn that. And and so uh, that delayed gratification or discipline is key to staying within a budget. It's a key uh, and the budget is key to using your resources for things that are truly of value so that they contribute to this world of ours instead of uh, we just consume it upon our lusts or or something that is of less value. And you just have to do it. And this is where having an equal partnership marriage, where both partners are willing to speak up and call out one another right. when we're not exhibiting discipline. Sure. Uh, I think that's uh, that's important. So that's what I'd say about discipline. I love that. I One of my, you know, you have these memorable experiences in your life that just sit in there and you're mm -hmm. like, why is that still stuck in my head from 40 years ago? But I remember it was my it was just before my freshman year of college. I was working in the oil fields of West Texas mm. and I'm riding in this truck with this man named Odell. And I don't mind telling his name because he's probably passed away. Passed away. <laughs> he was probably 70 years old at the time. But, um, you know, Odell lived in a trailer uh, in the middle of Pecos, Texas. Mm. And I became aware that he was actually a millionaire. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember asking him about that. And I was talking about my future and what I was going to do with my life. Here I was 18 years old. And 
And of course I wanted to make money and, and he, he said something to me that I've never forgotten. He said, just remember, he said, and, and this is all in a deep Southern, West Texas Southern accent, you know, but he said, just remember that it's not how much you make, it's how much you save. Mm -hmm. And he had saved millions of dollars in his life by just living frugally and being very disciplined. So mm -hmm. I always have appreciated that lesson. Do you mind if I say something about Odell? Yeah, I don't think Odell would mind. Okay. <laughs> Well, he did a very good job of saving money, which meant he had plenty and didn't have to worry about it. Right. But when you see finances as a stewardship, we have a responsibility to use our resources to bless God's children. It does no good to be 70 years old and have $10 million in the bank right. when that money could be used for so many good things. So I just highlight that. It's, it's problematic if you spend money you don't have, but it's also problematic when you don't consecrate what you do have to bless God's children. So Jeff, what a great insight. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. So Jeff, would you have any advice for young couples starting off? You know, if there was like some kind of starter kit for a young couple starting off regarding finances, is there any advice you would share? Uh, certainly everything we've said in this podcast. <laughs> I would say yes. <laughs> but uh, in uh, 10 seconds, it would be to educate yourself about finances and then get a good budget and live within the budget. I think that's wonderful. bottom line. Jeff, do you is there a book uh, or an article you know that you would recommend? We're certainly going to paste your... BYU talk in these uh, in these show notes, but is there anything that you recommend for young couples as kind of a foundational piece? Uh, so my talk's good. Uh, we also have an Instagram. It's called Joyfully Within Your Means. Okay. And so we have new content in that three or four times a week. Uh, that's we'll link that that's on our really show good. notes as well. That's and uh, and actually, this is just a regular podcast, right? I can plug myself. I'm, you can. I'm uh, doing, in retirement, I'll be doing a workshop that's uh, called uh, Financial Boot Camp, newlywed edition, where we spend an hour and a half and just review all of the things that a newly married couple should uh, do with finances. How can people find out about that boot camp? Uh, you can go to uh, TammyHill.com. Okay. Wonderful. TammyHill.com, and uh, that's where it's listed along with all of her resources. Oh, Jeff, that is so great. Well, Jeff, as you know, we like to use the, the phrase LDS as let's do something. Is there anything that you would like to invite our listeners to do? Just just small one small baby step as a starter point for, for some of these things you've talked about today. One small baby step thing is a big picture thing, which is together with your spouse if you're married, or with the Lord if you're not, or together both ways, consider one thing that costs money that would bless your life, and then save and sacrifice and pay cash for that one thing that blesses your life. Oh, I think that's such a, such a great idea. And the one thing that I would uh, recommend if anyone, uh, you know, if you're still looking for one extra credit thing to do is uh, to sit down with your spouse and create a budget together. Mm -hmm. And then to, as you talked about, Jeff, to 
to find a way to review that on a, on a regular basis, I think could be so helpful for couples. Okay. Well, everyone, thank you uh, so much for listening today. Uh, feel free to share uh, this podcast with any of your friends or family. And uh, a reminder that you can find this uh, podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, and on our website at preservingfamilies.org. Until next time, have a wonderful week. Jeff, thank you so much for being with us today. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure.